So the rumors are untrue. Eric Jafruti is still alive. He's right there. <laughs> Last week when we were doing the, uh, the Truth Project on Wednesday night, I actually left in the middle and went to the hospital because the doctor sent him there because he had some heart issues. And he actually has a stint in his heart now. Two stints in his heart. I don't even know what that means. Uh, Doug Brown, one of the guys on our board, was asking me about it this week about what happened to Eric and stuff. And I'm like, uh, it's blockage, and he did this thing. So he goes home and talks to his wife, who's a nurse, and his wife says, sounds like two people have no idea what, what they're talking about, talking about something with the heart, because she's a nurse. She's like, give me details. And he's like, something was stuck. And <laughs> so he's okay, and that's, and that's good for all of us. So this is, this is funny, because today is like uh, the biggest American holiday. It's called Super Bowl Sunday. And my friend Matt's actually doing a anti-Super Bowl party, because he's not like a Super Bowl guy, but... Do you know, I saw a statistic. This has nothing to do with the message, so just whatever. Um, if you're new, welcome. This is what we do. Uh, uh, I saw a statistic. Something like 50-plus percent of people actually watch the Super Bowl for the commercials. Exactly. They should have, like, the Super Bowl commercial channel. I'll say that. Goes. Um, have you heard us talking about our gospel class, what Britt talked about? We actually, it was at 11. We moved it to the 9.30 service because the kids do a thing upstairs at 11 o'clock, the 4th, uh, 5th, and 6th graders. And so we're, we're trying to do it so the class isn't disturbed like it was last time. So it's back at the 9.30 service. So if you want to go to the gospel class, 9.30 next Sunday morning, show up in the back. They'll have coffee so you can wake up. It'll be good for you, hopefully. Why don't you stand there reading God's Word? <clears throat> we'll jump right in here. This is Psalm 22. Verse 7, and it says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be Your people who do bow down before You, that we wouldn't wait till this end of the age, but we would bow down now in our hearts and our lives, and we would live knowing that we are people who are in Your family, that You have called us children, and so we would live as Your kids. Amen. Have a seat. If you are new or newer to Element, we typically go through books of the Bible. I think it's the best way for me not to screw anything up because I have a tendency to do that a lot. Uh, occasionally, we will do a series on a topic. Like after we finish Ephesians, we're going to do the book of Esther. And then after that, we're doing a thing, a series called The People of Hope. And you'll just see what that's about when we get there. But mostly we will go through books of Scripture. We're in Ephesians today, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. You have a Bible, you can turn there. For us, this actually is week 5. If you know me, this is really speedy for, for me. Now, what you hear today, if you've been here for any number of weeks, is this is going to sound pretty familiar to you. It's like Paul keeps saying this, and he does, because Paul is laying the groundwork for the things he wants you to know before he continues on to the rest of the book of Ephesians. And where Paul starts today is he starts talking about this idea of memory. Because we as human beings have the capacity to take memory and put it together to allow it to change our futures or not if we don't pay any attention to where we've been. Memory is a very strange thing. Well, my memory is a very strange thing. I don't know about yours. I try to blame everything I can on it. That's how I call it. I call it it because it only seems to remember certain things that are not important like movie trivia or useless facts. You know, you probably know some of those yourselves. And it forgets everything that's really supposed to be important, such as my anniversary or uh, what my wife was just saying to me two minutes ago. Uh, I, kinda, I, I can't remember personally where like, I last laid my keys, but I swear if I'm arguing with my wife, I can remember every hurtful thing I perceived that she said to me for the last 10 years. I can remember it all, but not 
my keys. Uh, I, I cannot remember to put my seatbelt on, but if you rode in my car, I'd tell you, put on your seatbelt, because I would remember that. I can easily forget about all my own faults while pointing out everybody else's around me, because memory is, is pretty crazy. Sometimes people, though, they don't even think about the past, and they get dominated by the future, always thinking about tomorrow. And so Paul says you need both. You've got to reflect and think about where you're going. It's good to plan for the future, but sometimes we get so busy we never remember where we came from. If you are someone who only looks at the past, you probably get stuck into one of two categories. The first one is you'll look at your sin and you get very sad because you can't get past it. You get very morose. Then you begin to write country western music. <laughs> you never move forward. Or some people, they look at, back at the past and they only look at nostalgia. And they think of all these nostalgia. Oh, remember the good old days. Oh, remember when. But Paul says you remember all of these things as well as the future. Remember where life was hard, where life was good, where life was bad, and where God showed up. So it changes how we live in all of our tomorrows. This is the whole point. Sin is your past if you're a believer. And salvation is your present. And Jesus is your present and your future. And when you think about all these things, past, present, and future, this is a good format to go with. Today in the book of Ephesians, you'll see that sin is seen when we are far from God and each other because sin is a wedge that drives itself between people and we become rebels. Sin repels other people and it repels God. And salvation is when God comes very close to us and brings us close to Him and other people. So there's lots of implications of sin. So verse 11, this is where we start. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember... See, there's the word. I wasn't making it up. I'm totally serious. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of man, remember... And I'm going to stop right there because I'm like a kid learning how to drive a stick shift. We just start and stop all the time. If, if you read this and you have no background, this is going to sound really strange to you. You're going to see, you know, we don't, we don't get into arguments about circumcision today. And, and if you do, you're weird and mildly entertaining and we, and we laugh at you. In Paul's day, this is a big deal. This is a racial slur. Like junior boys don't sit on the playground and go, oh, you're so uncircumcised. And like, oh, we're so... You know, they, they don't do that anymore. In Paul's day, this is a big deal, a big deal. Uh, in the Bible, it's like a bad cuss word. Uh, remember like David and Goliath? I mean, people don't even read the Bible. One of the story of David and Goliath, right? Okay, Goliath is this giant, and he's taunting the armies of God. David's this young Jewish kid. He shows up, and he's all, what's up with this uncircumcised Philistine? And we read this, and we're like, oh, whatever. Everyone in the army is probably like, ha, ha, that's so funny. He's making... Again, it doesn't make sense to us today, but it makes total sense back then. Essentially what Paul says is before you know God, you're committed to self-righteousness. You are a self-righteous fill-in-the-blank. People who don't know God, what they will typically do is they determine that they need to be good, whatever they determine that good is. So they will start to be very good, and that will distinguish themselves from other people who are bad. They will do these actions. And then they can say, I'm good and you are bad. Here, it is the mark of circumcision. This is the, the showing of what God's covenant, the mark of God's covenant against uncircumcised people. And they would throw out all these slurs at each other. This is so unlike our day. Well, I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican, I'm young, or you're old. I drive a Prius and I care about our environment. I drive an SUV and I'll run over your car. You know, less filling, tastes great, Star Trek, Star Wars. Anything that we can do and say to make ourselves better than somebody else is what we do. I'm better than you because I do this and, and everybody else, you're a bad guy and I'm, and I'm a good guy. And I told you this last week, the other people that you call the bad guys think you're the bad guys. The truth about this is we are all the bad guys. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
Righteousness is something we do not inherently possess. It is given to us by Jesus. And when we understand that, we stop looking down on other people who are different than us, and we realize that we are all bad and we need Jesus. People who call themselves Christians should be very humble people because we realize everybody is bad and we all need Jesus. And Paul says these arguments are silly because you're all just crazy. And so Jesus takes away our sin. He gives us his righteousness. And so these Christians were forgetting what it was like when they didn't know God. He says, remember, remember this. So he reminds them, verse 12, remember, says it again, that at that time you were separate from Christ. Remember what it was like when you didn't know Jesus. If you've been in church any length of time, you will find these people. You think, oh, I've been a Christian since I was born. And they, and they act crazy. They act crazy. Paul says, remember what it was like to be separate from Christ. And when you do that, you'll have some understanding and some compassion on people who don't know him. So, do you remember when you were, next line, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners? Do you remember when you didn't have fellowship with other Christians or with God? Here Paul is referring to God's people of promise. So do you show up for church sometimes and maybe totally miss the miracle that church, that a family really is? Do you remember when you were, next line, foreigners to the covenant of the promise? Relationship with God is all throughout Scripture is defined as covenant. You see this in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God's relationship with us is based upon his promises, just like a marriage. All the promises become summed up in one promise, and that is the promise of Jesus. The promise of Jesus. You know, promises are that, that God is going to come. He's going to forgive our sin. God is going to lead us. God's never going to forsake us. When we die, we will still live. Remember when you didn't have these promises. Remember what it was like. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you need to. You can have all these promises. They can be for you too. Do you remember when you were, next line, without hope and without God in the world? And this is a big thing for our culture today. In, in our culture and even in the Ephesian culture, with despair and loss of hope. Many people look at themselves and look at everything else around them and they think, this is not going to get any better because a positive mental attitude is not enough. The only hope we have as a people is Jesus. We cannot fix the world. The world is without hope, without God. We cannot give anyone hope without first showing them Jesus. People say, oh, I need transformation. Well, good, Jesus can do that. The world needs hope. Well, good. God's bigger than the world. Oh, I'm scared of death. Good. God's bigger than death. That is your hope. God is involved, and he's attached himself to his people and works on their behalf. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But, but, and this is the great word. Paul likes to throw this word but in there. Everything has changed. But now in Christ Jesus... You who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We who are far from God, how do we get near? We don't. God comes near to us. God comes near to us. That's the beauty of the gospel. Matthew one twenty three says that Jesus would be known as Emmanuel, God with us. All the world religions are how you can get close to God. How can you make God like you? Christianity is God coming close to us. God is building relationship with his people. It is amazing that the God of the universe would come close to us and extend himself to us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's how it gets done. The blood of Jesus. God makes a promise in the book of Genesis. You sin, you die. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Sin equals death. Separation. In our world today, there's death everywhere because of sin. Sin and death. Death is not a natural part of life. If you go to a funeral, we paint dead people to look like they're alive. And it's kind of freaky. I have done lots of funerals, 
And every time I do one, I, I love the people who are there, but I'm always irritated at a funeral because it's not right. It's not natural. I ask my wife this question a lot. I go, if I die, will you get remarried? And she's like, I couldn't handle another one of you. It would just... <laughs> And I'm like, no, no, no. It would be okay if you got remarried. You know what? It's not okay. I don't want some other dude touching her. That's not right. It's not, it's not right. If I die. We're supposed to be a people of the living God. Walking away from God brings death. Sin is separation from God. And God is alive. And when we are far from God, there is no way for us to bridge that separation. So Jesus comes. And Jesus goes to the cross and is put to death. When, 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 did you, when Jesus died, I wasn't even born yet. He pays for all my sins that I haven't even committed yet. Why did Jesus die if He never sinned? Our sin. Jesus is not just a moral example. He is our substitute. For our sins. God shed His own blood for me. And in doing that, He takes my sin and gives me His righteousness. He takes my distance and He gives me His intimacy. By Jesus' blood, God is now connected with me. And because Jesus didn't sin, death couldn't hold Him, so He rises from the dead and He brings us back to life again. That's why Paul keeps talking about this. Get this foundation. Understand what God is doing. Verse 14 says, For He Himself is our peace. The result of the action that God has done brings peace. Peace between us and God. The the Hebrews would call this shalom. Everything in the right way at the right time between us and God. God removes our sin. It's not just laying down our weapons. This is like sitting down for a meal where friends sit down with each other and they have a meal. It says, For He Himself is our peace who has made the two one. These are these two different people always warring against each other. And uh, the two one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Sin has separated us from God, but it also separates us from other people. When this was written, when the book of Ephesians was written, there were various decrees by the Roman government to try to get the Jews and the non-Jews to live peaceably with each other. And it never worked. Today we do the same thing. We spend huge amounts of money trying to get people to get along and be nice to each other. We pass laws. People are still not nice to each other. Obama has a beer summit, which is crazy. Which, you know, but it's, there's a problem. The problem is we don't like each other. We all think that we know the best way to do everything. And if people would just agree with us and do it our way, the world would be better. Don't we? We get irritated at people who don't do the things the way we would want them done. I get irritated at everybody who doesn't drive like me. Which is everybody. Well, maybe not necessarily. Everybody. We think that we are better than everybody else. That everybody else is the problem. At this time, if you wanted to go to the temple and you wanted to worship God, the Jews would tell you, it's, it's here, you've got to go here. But at the temple, there's various degrees of access. It's just like a rock concert. You had like the high priest once a year, right into the presence of God. Outside of that, you would have the other priests. Outside of that, you'd have the men. Outside of that, you'd have the women. Outside of that, you'd have the Gentiles and non-Jews. At a concert, you got like pit and floor seats and outside floor seats and first balcony and second balcony and nosebleed section and parking lot. Hey, the Gentiles, they get the parking lot. That's, that's where they get... They're not happy about it. If a Gentile tried to go to the concert, their ticket would say, Parking lot C5. If they tried to actually get in the door, they could be killed at that point. So you're out in the parking lot, you can hear the subs, but you can't hear the band. None of the Gentiles, not kids, not grandparents, not parents, ever get to see the show. That causes a lot of hostility. Our culture has gone through much of this in the same way. We have black versus white, young versus old, poor versus rich. But in Jesus... All divisions are taken away. 
not distinctions. You can be black, white, poor, rich, old, young, drive the Prius, whatever, and follow Jesus and be part of his family. You can't. We are not ever allowed to look down on somebody or point somebody, oh, you're not as good as me, ever, because they're different than us. How does Jesus bring all of, us, all of us together? Verse 15, it says, By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. What this means is all the things that we would point to and say, Oh, look how good I am because I've done all of this. He abolished it. He takes it away. Now, the law doesn't mean the entire Old Testament. What he's talking about here is what's called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Many people have read the Torah and they've done all kinds of damage without understanding what they're reading. You read the Torah in the book of Leviticus, you read things like, Don't wear a blended type of cloth. So all of us here with polycotton blends, wicked sinner are we. Uh, it, says, it says, before you take a dump, dig a hole. And so you go, I got a toilet, I didn't dig a hole. Wicked sinner are you. <laughs> now, I, it says, don't eat fish from the bottom of the sea. You like lobster or shrimp? Wicked sinner are you. The reason the Old Testament has these laws, they're broken into three categories. This is what the laws look like. First one are called moral laws. Moral laws. This is like don't kill anyone, don't steal anything, honor your parents. Moral laws are still binding upon God's people today. You can't say, oh, it's the New Testament now, I'm going to kill my parents. You, you can't do that. Moral law is still binding. The second type of laws are called civil laws. In the Old Testament, it's a theocratic society. God gives laws for how his people are to conduct themselves and how they're supposed to live their lives as his nation. In the United States of America, are we a, the a theocratic nation? No. No, we're not. We, we have a president. Our president is Obama. If in any sense you think that Obama or Bush before him or Clinton before him or Reagan, you know, any of those people are God, you need serious help. Okay. Romans 13 says we live in nations with governments and we need to respect those governments as long as they do not uh, violate God's moral laws. But civil laws are non-binding. America is not the new Israel. It's not a theocracy. And the last type of laws were called ceremonial laws. And this is what Paul is referring to here. Laws and regulations. The priesthood, sacrificial system. You go to the temple with an animal and the priest would slaughter this animal and blood would run out of the temple. This has all been fulfilled in Christ. He is the temple. He is the priest. He is the sacrifice. The whole ceremonial system points to Jesus. You read the book of Hebrews. The entire book of Hebrews is written so we would understand what that means. So now all of these divisions have been taken away and we can be reconciled to each other. As examples, before Jesus, God's people ate different foods. You know, we've got to eat kosher. We can't eat like everybody else. Now they can eat anything they want. Now you can go to somebody's house for dinner. You can be connected to everybody else. They wore different clothes, as I said. So it's like if somebody didn't wear the same type of clothes that you did, you're like, oh, I can't really hang out with them. They got blended clothes on. You know, they, I, I shop at The Gap, and they shop at Ross. I can't hang out with them. You know, it, everybody's making fun of my shirt this morning, by the way. Marshall's Sale Rack, so discount, discount store. See? <laughs> And I can hang out with any of you. And that's the point. He takes those divisions away. They spoke a different language. Oh, we've got to speak Hebrew. God says, no, now anything. All the divisions are taken away in Christ. It's, about, it's not about culture. It's about Christ. All the dividing points are gone. It doesn't matter your music, your clothes, your haircut. The issue is, do you love Jesus? It's all about Jesus. It becomes about Jesus and not our cultural distinctives. Verse 15 says, His purpose was to create in Himself one new man out of the two. Jews and Gentiles, everybody together, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. That's what Jesus accomplished. By, by which He put to death their hostility. God's purpose, bringing people back together again. God's plans take all these rebels and bring them close. And we as a people would and we should respond with gratitude, love, and grace. 
Some of you are sitting in this room. You have nothing in common with anybody else in this room except you love Jesus, and so do they. And you know what? That makes you family. It makes you family. In America, you get told all the time your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not in the Bible. It is personal. God saves you personally. But our salvation was always meant to be communal, lived with other people. We are brought together to live in community. In the next few weeks, you're going to start hearing more and more about small groups. We want you guys in small groups. Uh, Wednesday night, we do this thing called the Truth Project. A great turnout. A lot of you are here. Hopefully, if you came, you keep coming and stick with it. We break you into small groups when that's over because we want you connecting to other people. If you go to the Truth Project, the guy that teaches it talks much slower than I do. So if you're looking for that, you would be like, oh, wow, what is this like? I don't know. It seems so slow. What's <laughs> Now, and this may seem kind of weird to you because, you know, you, you have your own home and your own car and your own lawnmower and your own address and your own life and you have no connection with other people. But part of the purpose of the scriptures was to knit us together as a corporate people. We are one body and we cannot look at other people and say, well, I don't care what happens to other people because we're all connected. It's the point. God comes and he, and he takes away this wedge that divides him and us and us and other people. It's articulated to the entire earth by how we live and preaching and teaching. It's what God has done. Verse 17, He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. And Jesus still preaches this message through His people. He's doing it through us. You are the conduit through which the living God longs to reveal Himself to people. He works through His people. Verse 18, For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And He comes back to this idea again. Father, Son, Spirit, one God. One God. He wants people, because in, in Ephesus, they have all these bizarre ideas of what God is. God is Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. You've got to get this concept. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, they are so connected that they are one God. A man and a woman in marriage are to be so connected, they become one flesh. God's people, His church, are to be so connected, they become one body. One body. And it all finds itself in the person of who God has revealed himself to be. This is the point. We are connected to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Paul says, remember what your life was like without Jesus. And now what life is like with him. Remember life not connected with God. And now remember life that is connected with God. Remember how your life was not connected to other people. You had all these divisions. And now think of how it could actually be connected to other people. And now what Paul does is he takes all of these things and he gives you a couple poetic images so our imagination can begin to conceive what these mean in our present and in our future, being connected and being forgiven. Verse 19 starts like this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Yay. But fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The first metaphor that Paul gives in this that he wants us to get is that God is a king. He is a king. And he brings people into his kingdom as citizens. This means you can be an American and you love and serve and work for your country, but you are primarily a member of God's kingdom. All nations of the earth have people on, in them. But people who believe in all those other countries are your family. They're brothers and sisters and part of God's kingdom. This means that for us and our foreign affairs, we just don't think about what's beneficial for us. We must think about the implications for the forward progress of the gospel. It's not just how do we, how do we protect our national interests, but are we putting guns in the hands of people who will shoot our brothers and sisters? 
it becomes very practical. It becomes very conflicted sometimes because something may be very beneficial to our oil reserves, but is it beneficial to a church that's ruled with bullets that we paid for? You know, as Christians, again, we get conflicted. As members of God's kingdom, we are to be concerned about God's kingdom. We've got to be thinking about this. I love America. I love the freedoms I have. I love being here. You know, I'm red, white, and blue, USA, apple pie, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I actually do like pie. But there's also another kingdom and another king. We're to be part of his business. The second metaphor he uses is the metaphor of a family. Family. That we are members of God's household. That means that for you and I, I am like a brother and a husband and an uncle and a son. We are a big, loving family. And, and you may think, well, my family's awful. Well, he's not talking about your family. He's talking about a good family. Family's different than a business. In family, everything changes. In a business, man, you go to Kohl's. Okay? Now, I want to go buy a pair of shoes. So you go to Kohl's and you go to buy a pair of shoes. Do you mop the floor on the way out? Do you clean the restrooms? You know, do you do anything? No, if you don't, you're weird. Okay? You, you, you buy it and you walk out the door. But does the family operate differently? Yes, it does. You have chores to do, you know, food to prepare, clear the table, feed the dog. It doesn't matter if you're big or little. We all have jobs to do. You can't be in a family and not do chores. Those who come, come over and, and don't do anything are visitors. If you're here and, you don't, and you're checking it out, maybe Element's not your home, you know, and you're, but you're thinking about it, you're a first-time visitor, welcome. Hopefully our family's being really nice to you. If they're not, come and tell me. We will stick them in the woodshed. You know, we'll, we'll, do some, we'll, we'll, figure, we'll figure that out. If you call Element home, you are hosting everybody else here to your family. In a business, you know, the customer's always right. In a family, never. <laughs> it never happens like that. The business model, they will give you anything if you demand it and pay for it, even if it kills you. You can drink yourself to death. You can buy enough rope to hang yourself. You can go buy a whole bunch of cellophane and saran wrap and wrap yourself in it till you, till you suffocate. Boom. My wife makes fun of me because I say suffocate. Suffer. Well, you suffer, right? Okay. And, and, and uh, parents don't do that, though. They won't give you that much saran wrap. They don't breathe in that bag, you crazy kid. Parents lead their families out of love. You don't always give kids what they want. You give them what they need, even when they scream for it. You know, three-year-olds, they, they would only eat foods that end in Eto's and have a higher sugar count than Pepsi if you let them. I'm, I'm standing in the back every once in a while, and these little kids are all, hey, I want cookies. And I'm like, Okay, did you ask your mom or dad? I want cookies! I'm like, you're going to get a spanking! You, you keep going. As a parent in a family, you're not the clown be behind the microphone where people walk up and they bark orders and you put stuff in a bag. It's not how it works. Church is a family, meaning many times you will get what you need, not always necessarily what you want. People say, well, I gave money or I want this. The issue is this is what you're going to get. You can't just have ice cream. What we're going to give you is we're going to give you Jesus. That's what I tell you all the time. I tell you about Jesus because that's what you need to know. The consumption mindset is destroying Jesus' church today, and it's making us into very selfish people. Show up when you want, you get your stuff, give as little as possible, if anything, and you feel like you get a good deal. That's not the goal of family. A family, you get in, you help, you do your chores, you work towards a common goal. Whenever somebody wants us to do something new, oh, try this, or do that, or be involved in something, one of the guys on the board, when I bring it up, usually says, are they a member? Are they a member? Because we invest in family. We do not want to abuse our family by people who treat the church like a business. We want to invest in family. People treat it like family. They show up, they give, they, they bake food. Other people show up and they eat and they take and they leave. Then the family comes in behind them and they clean up. It's what a family does. You know, we think family, other people think, oh, you know, free meal. You know, we, we feed you, we don't charge you. It's family. It's like this. Uh, Michelle Combs. 
She's in charge of, of all the food that's back there. Do you know Element doesn't buy that food? People bake it or buy it and bring it themselves. Uh, my wife, when, when, she, when it's her turn, she's like, I think once every two months she, she brings it. I, I said, last service, I said, she goes to the, the day-old bread store and she goes, no, it's called the bakery outlet. She goes, day-old bread store sounds like it's all stale. It's not stale, it's good bread. And she brings like homemade jam and, and stuff like that. So things like that. But, but seriously, people, if you want to do something like that, if you're looking for something besides all the stuff we do outside the walls, if you want something to do inside and host people to your family, talk to Michelle. You know, be involved like once every month. Bring food for one service so, so people can get together and, and hang out. Uh, lady named Jean. Jean runs our greeter ministry. So if you walk in the door, hopefully people say hi to you when you walk in. It's not like, oh, look, somebody new. Let's run away. You, know? you walk in, somebody says hi to you. You want to be part of that? You talk to her. Stand on the door. Say hi to people when they walk in. I, I think it's, that's really in, important. You want to learn how to do slides. You, know, you talk to Mike. Maybe you want to learn how to do sound. You know, talk to Mikey or Sean in the back. They'll teach you that. You, know, you get involved in doing something. Um, Mark, we don't know what happens. Every once in a while, Mark just kind of disappears. We don't, we don't know. What happens to him? If you ever seen Mark play, that's why he lives his entire life. It's kind of like, Ugh. it's like, where'd he go? I don't know. So, in like, you know, <laughs> kind of wish he was here to hear that. But, <laughs> but you know, we we need people to fill in in the band. I mean, when Michelle uh, San Jose's back in town, I don't play guitar. You know, I, I I enjoy it, but I it's it's not like my thing. I like walking around talking to people. And sometimes I like playing and stuff. But you know, with singers and stuff, talk to Sean. You know, Sean would love to start to get people involved in this. Uh, we have children, we have youth, people getting involved in you know, a small group. You know, Eric and Mike are going to be in small groups. You start talking. So our family starts coming together uh, and on top of all the other things we do outside of our walls as well. Guys, uh, practically speaking, I do not want strong divisions between age groups at Element. That's one of the reasons we don't have junior high or high school Sunday school. I get this all the people are like, why don't you do this? Well, I'll tell you what. I want them in here with you. In junior high and high school, they're in the age where they need to be mixing with people of all different ages so they begin to grow up. Now, we will do small groups, and small groups, you'll, you'll have like a, we have like a youth ministry and, and a college group, and, but in small groups, you know, a lot of people will get together like young adults and young marrieds and you know, young families and stuff like that, but we do lots of stuff together so we all get to know each other because we can learn stuff from people in other age groups. Uh, can you learn something from a four-year-old? Yes, patience. <laughs> Getting kids to do anything, it's like trying to herd cats. They just don't go where you want them to go. But Jesus says, you need faith like a child. How are you going to know what that's like unless you're around a child? Pick your nose, wet your pants. Don't take yourself too seriously and just love being with your father. If age groups don't interact, we lose family dynamics. Uh, if you're in college, one day you're going to want a job. You should hang out and meet somebody who has one. <laughs> they, can, they can tell you what it's like. I know people who, who have a job, talking to a college kid, and then a job opening opens up in where they're working, and they get people jobs where they're working. Say, it works. Isn't that cool? It works. That. If you're not married, one day you, know, you, you should be looking forward to getting married. You should hang out with people who are married. Show you what it's like or how not to do it, you know, one or the other. You know, but it's, it's like a used car. You know, you're dating somebody new, you bring them over and go, how's this one? And they can be like, oh, no, run away. You know, it's, it's terrible. Your natural connecting points is what a family does. The goal is functioning as a family. The issue is not a big or a little family. It is, is it a good family? And I am not saying biological or church family. You've got to pick one. We're not like that. We're not like, here, wear our tennis shoes and drink our grape juice and here's your tinfoil hat. Have a good week. You know, that, that's not what we're like. It, it is, it is, it's like this. When, when Jesus, 
was preaching one time. People came up to him and they said, and they said, hey, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus says, my mother and brothers are those who do the will of God. Jesus has a huge family. And we are invited to be part of his gigantic family. Paul concludes his metaphor by saying that the purpose of this family is for worship of God. Love of others, worship of God. It says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So it's not here or there. It's where God's people are that gather to worship Him. That's what it is. The temple used to be the center of worship. And now that temple is you. Is you. Not that you're the center of worship because that's just crazy. But you and your life are the place where people should now be able to see the hand of God work and move. That's what that means. This whole idea, the temple, the church, was built on the authority of the apostles and the prophets. Scriptures are the basis. We are here today doing this because of Ephesians chapter 2. Meeting and talking and, and talking about Jesus. Sin separates. God reconciles. So we are a people who have been redeemed and been reconciled. And we come together to worship Him this morning by living life with Him and others as a kingdom of priests, but also as the family of God. This morning... What you'll be able to do is as soon as we're done, we're going to invite you guys to worship God through fellowship. Go eat the food that's back there. Hang out. Get to know some people. Drink some coffee. Don't yell at somebody on the way out the parking lot if they cut you off. You know, just, the poles are very sturdy, so don't hit one. I apparently hear, heard. So, somebody hit a pole. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, Hang out, get to know. That's that's the point. I mean, there, there's going to be all kinds of personalities that maybe you won't get along with and whatever. But you know, that's okay. God takes away the division, so we can be a family. You probably have bizarre people in your family. If you don't, you've got a weird family. I mean, because there's always someone in your family that's like, oh, they're coming over. Uh, I'm going to be sick. Or I'm going to be gone. We are a family, and there are people that you're not going to mess with. But we are family. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. One of the purposes so we can worship Him in fellowship as a family. The band's going to come up. As they do, uh, we invite you guys to also sing these songs where you're at. And maybe you would take a moment while this is happening and you would pray. And you would say, God, show me where I have placed divisions in my life between me and other people. You know, Show me where I have made myself better than somebody else in my own head. Uh, show me how I have started doing things my own way and thinking I'm better than somebody else because I do it this way and other people don't. Ask him to reveal that to you. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back of the room. And if you guys need prayer for anything, talk to them. If you want to know more about our family, talk to them. If you want to know Jesus, talk to them. They love to talk to you about Jesus. They love talking talk about Jesus. I love talking about Jesus. Anyway, uh, we're going to worship God uh, through, uh, through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the very back. And we give simply because God gave so much to us. And giving is part of our worship. And again, again, guys, connect with each other. I mean, you, you may think, this is, this is terrible, I don't like this, I don't like that. But honestly, when you connect, that is worship. That is worship. Living with this great, gigantic family that, that God has died to redeem and restore to relationship. Live as part of the family. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would remember you and how you have redeemed us. That we wouldn't be a people who simply think about how nobody else is like us and nobody else does it good enough or right enough, but we'd be a people who live in humility, realizing that we are all lost without you. And the only thing that separates us from anybody else is our faith in you. God, you love all people. 
you, you've come and you take us to make us into something new. And we ask this morning that your vision would be our vision. That you would guide us in the steps you want us to walk in. And that we would be glad to do those things. That it would bring glory to you and joy to your people as you are lifted up and your family lives like you call them to live. So change our hearts this morning. Change our minds. Have all the knowledge in our head turn into practical wisdom in how we live out this life. And in all we do, have us constantly remember what you have done for us and how humble we should be because you came and died and rose so that we could be part of your family.